This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to an Egyptian history podcast mini-episode, The Dancers for God, a short tale of some special performers in Egypt and the entertainments of cultured folk. Our music for this episode is provided by Michael Levy, composer of ancient melodies on recreated instruments, and Keith Zizzer, whose music provides much of the background for the podcast. There is no one who returns from beyond, that he may tell of the deceased state, that he may tell of their lot, that he may set our hearts at ease, until we make the journey to the place where they have gone. So rejoice your heart, absence of worry is good for you. Follow your heart as long as you live, put myrrh on your head, dress yourself in fine linen, anoint yourself with the exquisite ointments, the ones which are only for the gods. The Song of the Harper New Kingdom. Travel west of modern-day Luxor, Egypt, into the desert foothills, and you will come to the vast cemeteries of the ancient Theban necropolis. Here, among sand dunes, cliffs, and valleys, lie the hidden tombs of pharaohs and queens, but also of nobles, artisans, craftsmen, and scribes. These are the relics of a people whose lives, while harder than our own, were no less filled with music, celebration, dancing, and joy. If you visited Western Thebes around 1550 BCE, you would have come across a hive of activity. Artisans working day in, day out on dozens of hidden tombs. They dug secret corridors, carved secluded chambers into the bedrock, and then made way for the artists and painters who turned dusty holes in the ground into comfortable Peru jet, or houses for eternity. These were the eternal residences of men and women who went to their deaths hoping, praying, that the afterlife would provide them with the comforts and joys they had experienced in their own lives. In that quest, they made sure that any tomb paintings included the things they most desired. Wealth, sustenance, a home, servants, and especially, celebration. In one particular tomb in Thebes, artisans are hard at work. They are laying down plaster, smoothing it over the walls to make a nice flat surface. They are using red ink to draw a grid onto the wall, a grid to keep the proportions of their figures and paintings proper. Finally, they begin to lay down the outlines. People, animals, gods, and plants fill the scenes, and what was once solid rock now becomes a living tableau, a portrait of the hereafter as they wished it to be. In this particular scene, the artists are not drawing kings or queens or wars or gods. They are drawing women, slender women clad in bright white dresses, on four horizontal rows with no hieroglyphs to separate them or get in the way. 
the artists draw these women in what can only be described as a comic strip. I am reminded most strongly of a famous strip in the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Waterson, in which Calvin and his pet tiger put on sunglasses and dance, without borders or speech bubbles, to unheard music. The women hold hands, exchange pleasantries, and engage in all the formalities of a social gathering. But then the action begins, and they spring into step, cavorting and leaping, dancing and twirling. They clap, arms above, arms to one side, arms holding castanets and ribbons, arms raised in joy and in adoration. This is an adoration of life, of the divine, and of a single figure towering over all. This figure is the tomb owner, a now anonymous noblewoman of 17th dynasty Thebes. For her resting place, this woman chose to be housed in a sepulchre celebrating all the joys of life, and thus, ideally, to recreate those joys in the hereafter. I hope she succeeded. 400 miles to the north, a palace in a town called Avaris houses an ancient fresco which records the joys of a festival. The figures in this fresco, painted roughly around the same time as those in Thebes, show an altogether different kind of entertainment. Why? Because the celebrants here do not dance, they leap. Specifically, they leap over bulls. Yes, bulls, male cattle, horned and dangerous. Bulls, with whose strength the kings of Egypt identified themselves. Powerful, fast and lethal, these bulls were not to be trifled with. But the figures aren't just trifling with them, they're goading them into a charge, and then physically jumping over them. In some scenes, the leapers grab the bull by the horns, using the momentum to somersault over its back. In others, they dive cleverly between the horns, using their hands to bounce off the bull's rushing hindquarters, and so land safely on their feet behind it. They do so with incredible accuracy and consummate skill. Bull leaping is a famous motif of the ancient world. It was practiced most prominently on the Mediterranean island of Crete. Here, young sons of the land-owning aristocracy would show their skill and athleticism by springing atop and over bulls as they charged headlong. Their leaping was entertainment, but it may also have been religious, a celebration of the bull's power and its cult, and a demonstration of man's importance in the physical world by his successful triumph over animal forces. It was both a joy and very serious business. In Egypt, the bull leapers were an exotic novelty. They came from far away and entertained wealthy Egyptians with their prowess. Their antics were a celebration of what humans could do and a conspicuous display of Egyptian importance. If these men and women could entice entertainers from across the Mediterranean, what else could the Egyptian aristocracy do? The bull leapers' visit, or residence, they might have been permanent homestays, occurred at a time when Egypt was emerging from a millennium of insular thinking into a world where their horizons stretched from Sudan to Turkey, from Iraq to Greece. The Egyptians were on the verge of internationalism, and the visit of the Cretan bull leapers summed up everything that was excellent about that trend. But let's forget the aristocrats for a moment, and talk about some of the lower people. First, the common folk. Obviously the average Egyptian could not afford bull leapers, or harpers, or costly dancers to entertain them. They made do with more homespun diversions, some of which survive today in artwork. A popular pastime among young men was public wrestling. 
they grappled together in handheld positions, striving for supremacy. Once the match began, they would attempt to throw the other to the ground, in much the same way that modern jiu-jitsu works. They would twist and pull, until finally one emerged the victor. To celebrate, the common folk did what people since the dawn of agriculture have done to celebrate. They got drunk. The more stiff-necked among the Egyptian literati looked down on public drunkenness, but there is no doubt that it was very common. The Egyptians drank beer as a matter of daily nutrition, a thick, low-alcohol beer, but beer nonetheless. Made of barley and wheat, it was cloudy, but consumed enough it would drive you to intoxication before too long. When drunk enough, the Egyptians would turn to raucous song or to public dancing, and finally, if they were lucky, to storytellers. Storytelling was one of the chief entertainments among people of ancient cultures. Stories like the Odyssey and the Iliad, or the Epic of Gilgamesh and the contendings of Horus and Seth, got their start when public performers recited them for the general population. With voice acting, miming, and musical accompaniment, they brought to life the legendary exploits of heroes and kings, or the soap opera-esque arguments between the gods. It was all good fun, and it got good laughs. In a middle-class household at Thebes, a scribe and low-level granary official named Neb Amun, or Amun is the Lord, was hosting a dinner party. Or should I say, he was hosting a dinner party in the afterlife. The tomb of Neb Amun contains paintings displaying a party which he would very much like to enjoy. It may not surprise you to learn that this party is populated almost entirely by girls. Apart from Neb Amun and some close friends, most of the party-goers are women. They are beautiful by the Egyptian standard, with long black hair and well-cut translucent dresses. They wear beehive-shaped cones of scented beeswax on their heads, which melt in the humid night air and give them a sweet smell all night long. As the evening carries on, they eat, converse, and drink, and around them the entertainment flows. The first lineup of performers are musicians. Flute players probably moonlighting outside their day job as musicians in the great temples. By day, they would offer their music to the gods, but by night, they are in Neba Moon's employ, providing accompaniment for the star attraction, the dancers. The dancers of Neba Moon are almost all naked. They wear small, jangly necklaces around their hips and white cloth headbands around their hair. Like the dancers of the tomb we visited earlier, they cavort and clap, giving entertainment and adoration to the host, the tomb owner, Mr. Nebamun. What Nebamun imagined would happen in the next part of the story is anyone's guess, but it isn't hard to imagine. If Nebamun took the words of the harper's song to heart, he was out to enjoy the afterlife as much as possible. With wine, music, song, and sex for eternity, he was probably enjoying it very much. Perhaps he still is. The festivities of ancient Egyptians were divided sharply between public and private spheres. If you want to know more of the public celebrations, most especially the great religious festivals, you will find these described and explored in episode 40 of the podcast. For now, this has been a mini-episode of the Egyptian History Podcast, and I leave you with the words of the harper and the music of Michael Levy. Let your pleasure increase, and do not let your heart grow weary. Follow your heart and your happiness, 
Conduct your affairs on the earth as your heart dictates. For the day of mourning will surely come for you. The Lord Osiris does not hear the lamentations of mourners, and their weeping will not rescue a man's heart from the grave. So enjoy pleasant times, and do not weary thereof. There is no one who returns from beyond. So rejoice your heart. What did it take to survive an ancient siege? Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts.